Welcome to the Making Jobs Podcast, where we talk about car repair, business ownership, and everything in between. I'm your host, Matt Hernandez, founder and owner of Matt's Mobile Mechanics. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Schultz, with Witness Security. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Welcome back, job makers, makers of jobs. It's been a little bit. Um, we didn't get a record last week. Uh, Tyler had the Rona. The Rona. So did you get tested and yes. verified with the Rona? Okay. Yes. Now, how accurate those stupid tests are? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, Man, judging it, by... She tickled my brain with that thing. It yeah. was the weirdest feeling. <laughs> I, you know, I can't remember the reasoning, but I've had a nasal swab like that before. Dude, years ago way up in there yeah i don't remember what it, i want to say it was in the military and i don't so, know what they were looking for but i they i hope i was hoping they'd find it before they find my brain this little old black lady uh she's a nurse there at the urgent care and she's standing between my legs and sticking this thing up in there and i'm i've got my head back and all of a sudden she went a little far and i latched onto her like I just, my legs went straight in, just locked on. She's like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) It was weird. You had to love those involuntary reactions. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just, I didn't know. Um, Actually, She she immediately, she goes to my wife. My wife's sitting right there. She says, Yep, I guess I went uh, went just far enough because he <laughs> he started sputtering and complaining. <laughs> uh, goodness, <clears throat> should ask her to buy you buy you dinner first before getting that far inside. <clears throat> she pretty much gave me a lap dance once I uh, latched onto her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember what the reason was, but it was a. Uh, <clears throat> I was in the military and they were doing some, they did some nasal swab and it was like deep. And I saw the, they pulled out the swab, the, the, the extra long Q-tip. And I was like, where the heck is that going? <laughs> <laughs> like it goes in your nose. I'm like, I don't think my nose is that big. <laughs> you know, after I saw it, I'm sitting there thinking, anal swab sounds great right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can they just check? <laughs> I've got other orifices. Do we have to put it up there? Hmm. I'm thinking, man, that thing is long. You know, Noah has to do that like uh, once a quarter. Does it every every three months? <clears throat> uh, they they have to do a nasal swab, check for any uh, do, whenever they do his cultures and stuff. Make sure he doesn't have like a. It's it's a similar thing. Like I guess you know, back there in the nasal cavity is where um, <clears throat> it's most accurate means of detecting things especially respiratory uh illnesses and uh bacteria like pseudomonas and whatnot so when they said they were developing a COVID 19 test that was that was actually my first thought i was like i bet they're gonna do that freaking brain tickle uh swab <clears throat> and sure enough that's what they did mm. yeah so uh and rachel she had just so did you uh did you go out uh go out and uh inject yourself with some clorox or hydroxychloroquine or nope yeah you know what I did? I did I, take some quercetin, took some vitamin C, yeah. took some garlic, took some vitamin D3, took some zinc, <clears throat> and I was taking all of that on a regular basis about two times a day. Yeah. 
it kicked mine pretty quick. Now, Dude, Rachel, she you know, did. I remember right when it was coming on before you knew it was COVID, you said, uh, uh, we were on the phone and you said you weren't feeling great. And you're like, I gotta, I gotta take some vitamin C. Were we on the phone? Um, Possibly. or maybe it was when we were recording. Possibly. Uh, so I don't know. One of the, you said something like, like I could get some vitamin C and you know nip this thing in the bud, whatever it is. And then like a few days later, you're like, yeah, I can't record this week. I've got, I've got the the Rona. So it came <clears throat> on. I had fever from Friday, um, all the way to from Friday to Friday, mm-hmm. and um. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm also trying to get work done on my house. Yeah. Friday, I was trying to paint my bathroom, and then the fevers and stuff hit started hitting, and I'm going, this. And the stupid thing is, I worked all day Friday with my dad, and then he comes in, or... We get done, um, and we go sit down on the couch, and my mom, she was sitting there watching the girls, and about 3 o'clock, I was like, both of us, we're done with uh, painting, we're wet, waiting on paint to dry, and um, I'm sitting there, and I'm talking with my girls, and next thing you know, I'm bundled up with a blanket. I don't remember grabbing the blanket, but I remember just being like, man, it's it's kind of chilly in here. And then a little while later, I've got two blankets on me, three blankets on me. And I'm like, I think I'm coming down with something. And I don't think it's anything light. And then Saturday hit and I had, I was supposed to drive Uber that Friday night mm-hmm. because that was the weekend of the Ironman competition. Yeah. And it was a very crazy weekend to drive. <clears throat> yeah, because not a single rental car company here in the Tulsa metro area had a car. Wow! So all of these twenty one hundred people coming to compete, plus their families and friends, yeah, that were coming to watch this competition, didn't have vehicles. But you couldn't drive because you had the Rona. I did, and oh. it was very angering. Tom Wood called me. On Thursday, to tell me, hey, you might want to start driving tonight because of the Ironman competition. People are starting to show up, and then I was like, oh, cool. He's the one that informed me that there was no rental yeah. car companies uh, that had vehicles. I was like, this will be a really profitable weekend. I was getting giddy like a schoolgirl, mm-hmm. and then it hit me. Well, and kind of ironic, the reason why the uh, reason why you couldn't drive is because you had the Rona, and the reason why the rental car companies didn't have cars is because of the Rona. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting. Uh, that's another one of those. There, I feel like years from now we will still be we will still be looking at after effects and weird byproducts of the pandemic. Um, something that only relatively recently popped up on my radar is the is is rental car companies. During the Rona, they couldn't, um, especially nationally. Like, here's the thing: is like here we weren't closed down too much, but most of almost every rental car company is a national chain, so they might business might have been okay in the Oklahoma area, 
but if they make 30% of their profits in California, then they're, and, and they have to be completely shut down, they're hurting bad, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so places like, you know, Hertz and Enterprise and all that stuff, they, they weren't able to rent in a lot of their markets, a lot of their major markets, you know, right. New York City uh, area, Northeast, uh, uh, the region, and then in California, they weren't able to rent their cars. So in order to stay afloat, what do you do when you're a company that has a whole bunch of assets that cars. are that are that are wasted and not doing anything? In order to keep afloat, uh, raise capital, you sell off a bunch of those assets, and that's what they did. But then when they reopen, their inventory is pretty short, um, <laughs> like really short. Uh, I think some of these companies sold more than half their inventory, uh, which is pretty pretty sizable. And so right now, rental car rates have gone way up um, because you... Hey, it was nuts. So Liette and Ryan <laughs> needed to borrow a yeah. car. Uh, and they were not wanting to pay to borrow a yeah, car. Yeah, how much did you say their their rental car... They they got a quote. And, I, well, I I was or you were yeah you looked up the rentals. Um, didn't you say it was like uh, above a hundred bucks a day? I'm pulling it up again right now. <clears throat> Man, granted, this was for an SUV, I think. But normally, so I've rented cars once or twice, and in the past, you could normally rent like a Chevy Tahoe or a GMC Yukon, you know, a full-size SUV for, like, those are the expensive ones, and those would rent for around 50, 60 bucks a day. Uh, and then you could rent, you know, like a little sedan uh, for like $25 a day, plus, you know, applicable fees, taxes, and whatever, but, you know. All right, so, um, <clears throat> you want to talk into the mic? 308 bucks for the entire time, and it automatically did uh, three days. Uh, $75 a day. That one's 78 bucks a day. A Nissan Versa. 104 bucks a day. So these are these are sedans you're talking about. Yeah. No, uh, Hyundai or, Accent. 69 bucks a day. Yeah. Used to be like an Accent would be like 25 bucks a day. This is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> a Ford Fiesta. Four doors. It, it, they they're listing all the all the amenities. It's an automatic. It's air it's got air conditioning. <laughs> First off, I wanna I wanna ask this question. When was the last time you went to a rental car company and uh they were Can I get a standard can, please? Yeah, yeah. When were when you're <laughs> when were you there and be like, Hey look, I need to get an automatic. I don't wanna get I don't want a standard. I don't want standard. Yeah, don't give me, don't give me that, don't give me that manual shift bullcrap. I, I want the fancy new auto shift transmissions that they got there. They're the bee's knees. <laughs> a Toyota Corolla for seventy four bucks a day. Yeah, what kind of crap is this? I mean, you could go buy a car for like. <laughs> I mean, it would be cheaper to buy a car. That that would actually be a good idea for um, used car dealerships. Yeah. They should get into... Oh, uh, here's the deal. Uh, used car dealerships are hurting bad for used inventory right now. Yeah, but at that point, you could rent your used they might car could, dealers. Uh, they might could cars. rent their new cars. They don't have used cars for crap, though. Oh, man. I was driving by uh, the Toyota, the Fowler Toyota dealership last weekend. Yeah. Normally, the weekend is the biggest time to be selling new cars. Yeah. They had maybe, maybe... 
five new Toyota vehicles. New cars across the board. Trucks. Yeah, new car sales are kind of through the roof right now because used inventory is uh, non-existent. But there's supposedly some raceway in Kentucky somewhere that has. it's a massive parking lot of Ford vehicles. Hmm. Brand spanking new Ford vehicles that there's not a single one of them moving. So there's a dealership called Patriot um, here in the local area. They're a Chrysler dealership, and they're running YouTube ads right now <clears throat> saying, we need your used cars. We will buy your cars. We've been instructed to buy your cars regardless if you buy one of ours. We'll just buy them. Like they're not, they're not even asking for trade-ins. They want to buy everyone's used cars, and they're paying, they're paying value or sometimes over the blue book value. Or the, how, the how can they NAD make money value. on that though? Because the used car, the demand but, for used cars is so high. If they're, if they're paying value or over value, then how do they turn around and make a profit on that? Do they mark it up so much? Well, here's the deal. They make a little bit of money on markup, but you forget dealerships. And I did an episode on this a long time ago in the original days of the podcast with Kenneth. Um, Dealerships do not make most of their money off of the sticker price sale of the vehicle. They make a buttload of money off of financing. That's where they make a ton of money. Really? Yes. The the bulk of of the money that they're making is off of financing. So... I went and bought, like my GMC Acadia, mm-hmm. I went and bought that through Jim Glover Chevy. Yeah. But I financed it through Tinker Federal Credit Union. Yeah. So in How that do they make their money? In that particular instance, they don't make a ton of money off of, off of that. However, they wouldn't make money off of your financing. However, yours was a used car. Used cars are where their biggest margins are. So realistically, whoever bought that Acadia, they bought a brand new car. Right. right? So they made money off of your deal, just not directly through you. They took the Acadia trade-in value, probably you know five thousand dollars less than they sold it for you. So they made five thousand dollars off of you whenever you bought the Acadia. However, the person who traded in that Acadia probably bought a brand new vehicle and likely um, very well financed it through them with a ridiculous nowadays uh, card. It's not uncommon to see six-year and eight-year notes. Oh yeah, and. Um, and, you know, the payments don't look all that bad, but when you factor in how much you're paying in interest, even with a low interest rate, over that type of a term, you know, six years, eight years, even if your interest rate's in, you know, in the sixes or so, they're making thousands of dollars over the course of the uh, maturity of that, of that loan. Um, you know, t- in, in some cases, they're making, you know, 30%, 40% more than what the sticker value of that of that vehicle is, and 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 uh, and dependent upon, you know, I know some people who have, uh, and I'm not going to name names, but I know some people who have bought vehicles financed through a dealership uh, or through one of their affiliate financing companies, and are paying uh, 16 and 18 percent interest because their credit's not all that great. Holy cow! On on six year notes, eight year notes. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's interest rates that like start to rival credit cards at that point. Like, it'd almost be cheaper to buy it on a credit card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so so you have to understand, like, you're not the demographic that the that the dealership's looking for. You don't, They don't want someone with good credit who's bringing their own financing to the table. What they want is they want someone with mediocre credit who would like to finance through them. Uh, in fact, 
in fact, uh, I experienced this when I was looking for my truck. Um, when I was looking for a new, uh, newer truck to buy, I was looking for a third gen Ram and I walked into a buy here, pay here place, which is the most exaggerated form of this. Those are the most predatory whenever it comes to their financing. Those, when I walked in and I those said, are the places that everybody goes, uh, let's watch out for the vultures because they're going to be coming. Yeah. So I walked in and they said, Hey, are you here to make a payment? And I said, no, no, I was just driving by. I noticed you have a third gen Ram quad cab out there. What's the uh, price on that? And they said, Oh, well, how much do you want to make in payments? I said, no, I have cash. I'd like to just buy it. What's your, uh, what's, you know, how much are you guys selling it for? And the salesman literally told me, he said, Oh, this isn't the dealership for you then. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, oh, we only do payments. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have a truck. You sell it. You, I've you, this got is, cash. You sell vehicles for money. I have monies. How much <laughs> How much monies do I need to give you to get the truck? <laughs> and they're like, like, no. They're like, they wouldn't even tell me. They wouldn't even tell me a price. That's ridiculous. Because they don't have a cash price. This was... Um, and, uh, and they do make more. I know that because uh, yeah. we have a dealership that we take care of. This dude is one of the most snakiest snakes. You definitely don't want to be doing business with him when you're the one on the receiving end of his business. Mm -hmm. Because, man, this guy is a snake. Well, so here's a here's an interesting tidbit of like the predatory practices of the buy here pay here places. Is generally speaking, what they will do is they will make a hundred percent. They basically are charging a hundred percent interest, and this is what they do. They don't, they, and they, and they, 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 they snake by it by saying they're not really charging interest. They're just charging a here's the here's the price. Here's the cash price of the vehicle. So, say a vehicle is worth twelve grand, they'll sell it for twenty four grand, but make it up into payments. And so it looks like, you know, the interest rate is, like, some cases they'll even advertise 0% interest. They just inflate the crap out of the the the, the sale price of the and vehicle. And they'll sell those vehicles over uh, three and four times. They will, because a lot of them get defaulted. In fact, I talked He's to stupid. one guy one time. Um, so I was, uh, this weird coincidence of a situation... I had uh, I had found a vehicle on Facebook Marketplace. It was a it was a it was a Dodge Ram. Uh, this was before I bought my Ram that's sitting out here in the parking lot, and it was like an 08 Ram or something like that. It was a third gen, and uh, and I found it on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, one of the two. And I talked to the guy and said, "Hey, I'd like to buy it." And he was offering me a pretty good deal. He was wanting to sell it for I want to say it was like five or six grand. It had low miles. It was a good looking truck, and. Um, and, uh, and then he, he, he bailed on me, like he f fell off the face of the planet and I couldn't get a hold of him and I was going to try and meet with him. Well, I just so happened to see a truck that looked very similar to that at a buy here, pay here place. I pulled in there and went to talk to them about that truck. And they gave me, they said, they actually would give me a cash price, but they said, uh, they said, look, you're, it's, it's not going to be, it's going to be too much because we don't have like a discounted cash price. It'd be the same as if you finance through us. And he, he explained to me this truck that honestly at most was worth about eight or nine grand. They were selling for 15 grand. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'll, I'll give you, you know, what it's worth. I'll pay you. And I said, it's funny, uh, I was talking with the, the sales manager because uh, he's, they hadn't put that, they just got that truck in, hadn't put it quite into their inventory yet. And so the sales manager took me to his office, I was talking to him, and uh, he said, you know, it's funny that car just came on our lot. <clears throat> and I said, yeah, it's funny because that, that truck 
looks a whole lot like a truck I was getting ready to buy. And they said, was the guy's name so-and-so? I can't remember now. And I said, yes, yes, it is. And I said, he was, he was about to sell it for like five or six grand to me. And then just disappeared. He's like, it's so weird. He said, because the guy just came in and turned, he still, he said, said the guy owed like a two, two or $3,000 left on it, but he just came in and turned it in, you know, as a, a voluntary repo basically. And, uh, so you about bought a vehicle that would have gotten repoed. Maybe. Uh, the reality is, is likely what we could have done is I would have discovered there's a lien on the title before giving him cash. And what we would have had to do is we'd have to go make the, uh, uh, get a lien release and make the payment. And, and you can sell a vehicle with a lien on it. It's possible. It just involves an awful lot of trust in the people that you're giving money to. So in, ca- in the cases where I have bought vehicles with liens on them, I usually make the payment directly to the lien holder to get the lien release and then the remaining balance uh, of whatever the pr- price was. So say, you know, I bought a vehicle for 10 grand, they owed three grand on it. I'd make three grand payment to whoever holds the lien. And then give, and then once we get the lien release and I get a notarized title, I give them the remaining balance of seven grand. So anyhow, that, that's, that's to me has always been the most secure way to do it, to make sure that I don't give them 10 grand and then they don't make the payment and I don't get a lien release. So, but I think it was, it was just such a crazy, weird, small world where like I almost bought that truck and was trying to get a hold of the guy. And then for some dumb reason, he just gave it back to them when he could have sold it to me and made a little bit of money. I mean, he, you know, cause he only, only owed a couple grand on it and I was, you know, so, offering him more than what he owed on it. Lightning Auto, which is one of my customers, <clears throat> mm-hmm. they are one of those buy here, pay here places. This dude had a Mustang sitting on the lot whenever I first did the security system. And this Mustang, it did not look like it was in the greatest of shape. The interior was all right. The body had some dings from people opening their doors into it. The bad thing was the trunk was kind of kind of a sh- shifted. Yeah, <laughs> what a little someone skew. someone had bumped the back thing. Yeah, and one of my guys was looking at it as we were uh, waiting on the guy to get there, and he's like, "That car that is messed up. Why aren't they yeah. trying to sell it?" So then the guy gets there. And uh, because the the guy that was with me happened to be a salesman, he then just starts shooting the bull with the guy. And he goes, oh, yeah, we've already sold that three times. Yeah. And he goes, and they won't pay the full six or 7000 that we want for that car. He goes, and then we'll get it back because they'll, they'll bring it back to us. He goes, yeah. it's weird. They'll bring the car back to us when they owe two, 3000 left. Most of the repos that these buy here, pay here get their voluntary repos, <clears throat> and they usually come back to them because they'll charge a fee to them and then come after their credit if they if they have to go and repossess it. This, so a lot of the guy, times these people who, who owe money and can't make the payment... It was bonkers. This car, yeah. this car was trash. He goes... The the engine's crap on it. He goes, but we can get five and six thousand for it because they their credit is so bad. Yeah, that they'll pay it. Yeah, and I, I honestly think, and this is here. 
this is coming from the guy who doesn't like regulation, doesn't like red tape, doesn't like government intervention, but I really honestly think that buy here, pay here places are criminal and should not be legal. They're predatory practices. And we have all of these rules in the market uh, for consumer protection that really doesn't like, for instance, you guys are burdened with mountains and mountains of red tape just so that you can sell security systems to people who want it and and you have to have licensing and all this stuff for for that and my all under the guise of consumer protection my dad's now on the board for that red tape now is he is the he's the he's the red tape board member <laughs> he's one of them he actually he got on so that we can try and sway the other board members about the stupid trainee license that we have to have uh because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So say we someone some guy walks in off the street to do an interview with us, and so we sit down, we have our interview, we like the guy. Mm-hmm. We say, yeah, let's go ahead and let's move forward with this. So we hire him. Well, yeah. We really technically can't. We can't hire people without a trainee license. But yet, at the same time, they're supposed to come in, we're supposed to assess their character on the fly, and then, at that point, pay, I think it's 75 bucks for a trainee license that they get for 90 days, three months, that they get to have that trainee license, and say two weeks in, or actually three weeks in, like I had just a couple of weeks ago... I had a guy that I fired because he was flexing on me because he, it was really weird. He kept, uh, I'd walk past him and he would step into my path just to see. It was really weird. I, I've never had anybody do this to me, but he just kept stepping into my path to, uh, basically check me. Hmm. And. Is that the guy that you fired the other week whenever I was here? Yeah. Yeah. And then. He seems like a guy that would do that. Constantly was smoking, which I don't have a problem if you're going to smoke. <clears throat> but you one, you don't do it near my, near my trucks, and two, if you're going to smoke and you need to run up or you you got a part in the truck, you don't send the other new guy as well <clears throat> to the truck so you can take a smoke break. Yeah. No, you take that smoke break as you're running to the truck to go get the part. Sure. That's yeah. that's how you take your smoke. Yeah, breaks. as long as it doesn't interfere with work, um, you know, i.e., it doesn't interfere time management wise, and it doesn't interfere with customer satisfaction. Meaning, uh, you shouldn't smoke in areas that would be offensive to the customers, like yeah. near their homes or in their homes. Certainly not. <laughs> um, and then also, don't throw your cigarette butts in people's front lawns like that. I've had I've had multiple. Actually, I want to say 90% of the mechanics that have worked for me have smoked, and I always had the exact it same comes, policy. It comes with the territory. You know, your cig- cigarette butts, if your cigarette butts get found anywhere, there will be repercussions because I don't want it. It's it's pretty simple. You don't throw it out uh, in, in people's driveways or yards or whatever. If you want to do that to your own home, that's fine. It's your house. Yeah, but not, not, uh, not in the customer's place. And... Uh, yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. So basically, you guys basically get to pay a, um, a a toll to the the bridge under the or the troll under the bridge just so you can hire every, somebody. Every it time. costs you seventy five dollars just to hire somebody. And techs, techs are hard to come by. Good ones. Yeah. So like Robert, my, one of my techs, he is a phenomenal tech. 
but it took us close to, I want to say six or seven years before we found him. Yeah. And well, uh, actually, as long as I keep him paid, you guys have been in business twelve years now, right? I came February of '09. So yeah, about twelve years, yep. and he started working for you like two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So it took a decade to find a <laughs> to find a good tech that you this have guy, kept for. He's the longest running tech besides you ever had. Yeah, other than yeah. me. Yeah, he is by far the best tech. <clears throat> I mean, when it comes, I mean, he's just as good as Keith and I. Yeah, and he he is good. Yeah. He shows up on time. You never have to... He, he he hasn't even asked for vacation but once. Yeah. In the two years that he's worked for me. Angel, my new guy, um, he's on vacation now, uh, but only because he kind of had it scheduled before mm. he came on. And I got a feeling he is going to be another Robert. No, that's good. The crazy I, thing is they're Hispanic. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what about us Hispanics. It's Hispanics and Mormons. Work ethic. <laughs> Work ethic like nothing else. I tell you what. Mormons are religious. Yeah. They, 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 their, their well, whole, and their also whole mindset is they're, if they do a bad job, <clears throat> they're religiously not doing a good job yeah yeah no it's a it's a work ethic built into even into like mormons have something something to their work It's part of the religion yeah yeah. so when you're when you're you know basically if you're a devout mormon um or even just like you know uh relatively uh involved in mormonism you will from the time you were a child till you become 18 you will be putting money you'll giving money to oh, yeah. the church to hold on to you for missions. And then everybody in the Mormon church, if you are a member of the Mormon church, goes out, every man goes out to serve. Women at do least, too now. Women do too? All I've right. seen them riding their bikes. It's right, hilarious. They're, they're inclusive then. Are they wearing culottes or what? Like, how's that work? Yeah, it's a weird <clears throat> It's going to be. It's like be. a... Because they're riding bikes. Yeah, yeah. Because they can't wear a dress <laughs> or ride a bike. That's dangerous. Um, it, it is a skirt thing, but it's got a little slit that um, it's it's, it's, it's like purposeful, it's like it's, like it's custom designed <laughs> for bicycle riding. It's schoolots, schoolots. <laughs> the uh, um, no, yeah. So so I've talked to uh, I've talked to several of them. Uh, they they uh, they have a pretty actually relatively strong presence here in East Tulsa, and. Um, when I lived here, there would be... A, They're trying to get the Mexicans. That's what, that's what it's got to be. I, I talked to several of them. I mean, I have extreme uh, disagreements with them on many theological and philosophical levels, but I still like to I still like to talk to them to get an understanding of <clears throat> where they come from and what they're doing. And the two guys, one of the, the last two guys that I was talking to, um, I was like, so where are you guys from? They're like, oh, we're from... Um, uh, they're like we're from Utah, and I'm like, huh? From Vivint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, they're like we're from Utah, and I was like, huh? How original? And they said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I, so I was trying to get an understanding. I was like, well, what made you come here? And he's like, well, the church decides where they go. Like they put all their money into this one big, and so like, depending upon where you go, like if someone gets sent to Southern California, they get allotted more money than whoever is going to obviously Oklahoma, which is cheaper to to live. And so they serve two years. Every single one of them serves two years in the missions, right? 
so from a, the time you're a child, you're kind of, you know, given this this uh, work ethic that, you know, you, the, the you know, 10% of the money that you make is going to the church. And so, like, you're, you're always, you're saving up money to go to the missions from an early age. So you're taught work ethic because you have to make money in order to save up the money. So from an early age, you're working young and learning a work ethic. And then you spend two years um, working basically from sunup till sundown in the missions with, with Jace basically a, a, a set stipend. Um, you know, you basically are paid on salary more or less and your, your allowance for, you know, extra money is not very much. It mostly just right. covers your living expenses. So, so because of that, yeah, um, they make for good employees, nice people too. <laughs> but, uh, Platinum Pest Control, one of our, uh, they, they work with our business coach. They are Mormon, and they're also they they don't have any problem getting employees. Yeah, most of their employees are Mormon. Yeah, and they said that they get them licensed because that's another field that they have to get licensed <clears throat> techs and all mm-hmm. that. And uh, Clay, our business coach, he goes, "I've got a, a fresh way of getting Mormons." He goes, "Because." It's part of their religion. They, if they don't do a good job, yeah, they are not doing their um, religion a service, which should be honestly a uh, a core uh, foundational belief in in uh, in Christians as well. It's, yeah, it's literally think, in the Bible. Um, you'd think, you'd think, but at the same time, I've had. <clears throat> I'll say that Keith, like, Keith and I cannot stand hiring from our church. We yeah. can't stand, and now, take that uh, Wait a, a little bit. Hang on. We just hired a new guy. I was I was at your church whenever you hired me. What does that mean? That No, huh? you're not one of those. Okay, all right. You, you are not one of the people that okay. we're talking about. All right, because uh, I'm thinking, you know, well, let's see, when did that policy change? Was it after I left, or no. what? <laughs> it was long after you left. Uh, no, it's... Uh, it was directly after Matt leaves. All right, we're not hiring anybody from church ever again. <laughs> well, we, we had... Um, we've had, yeah, we've had like my three. brother-in-law, yeah. um, but every bit of close to four or five techs that I've hired. We're from, yeah. From Eastland. Actually, after I left, there was, uh, there was like an on, it was basically a, uh, um, like a, a rotation. Like we were just, you were just going through everyone at There's at that. We've had, um, a few salesmen before <clears throat> you that. And after. And after. Now. Our two, two, two most recent, yeah, the one that we have now, and the one before him, no problems, <clears throat> yeah. But um, before that, uh, the only other salesman that was from Eastland was you. That we actually are like, this was a great move, yeah. But all the others, <coughs> yeah, well, kind of don't even a, want to be associated. Is it, with. It's actually, it's actually kind of, kind of sad. But, um, I will say this, like it is like a higher percentage of Mormons are, are better, are, are good Mormons than there is a percentage of Christians that are good Christians. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and because of that, like you see, like generally speaking, and they just, they're just going to have a better work ethic because it's literally in the Bible. It says to have a good work ethic. It says do everything that you do, do unto the glory of God. Everything, including exactly. going to work, which should mean that that should reflect in your work ethic and well, in the quality of your work. What's interesting 
and liberals they they just gloss over this whole page, this whole verse but it's it also says if you don't work then you, you shouldn't don't. eat yeah but yet liberals have this mindset that we ought to take care of the um the poor and that means uh, and the Bible does say you are supposed to take care of the That's poor the and the is, homeless. Yeah, and here's, but at the same time, you're not just yeah. you're not supposed to take care of them. So, like, just here's in here's a proper, cash, here's cash, here's cash. In a properly functioning society, it should not be the government's role to take no. care of. It should be handled at the lowest possible community level. So. If uh, someone is in need of help, they should, you know, be helped at the family level. If the family level is incapable of helping, it should be, you know, the church level um, or even your local community, neighbors or something along those lines. And then if that doesn't work, then perhaps, you know, then then you look at the idea of like a, you know, the city helping and then maybe the state. So by the time, by the time we're talking, federal like... Federal should never federal be should, involved. Federal, there are so many layers between between the federal government and the individual, that there should never be a situation where the federal government is having to deal with uh, welfare programs. Um, because there, there are so many other capable entities that should be doing this. Now, I will say this, and, uh, and it's a sentiment that has been, that has been brought up by, by many people, uh, throughout recent history, and that is that a lot of the reason why this is the case is because the local communities have failed their communities. I agree. You know, between the 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 churches in general have failed to provide, you know, for the community. They failed to bring people in. They failed to uh, to you know bring them into the community and care for them. Families aren't doing their jobs either. It's it's failing at the lowest level. Well, okay, you know, so. The reason families, in a lot of cases, have failed is people like our former tenant over here, Matt, that got on drugs, and then he burned his family because, like in our case, he was using their names and renting U-Haul trucks and then never paying the bill, and then the U-Haul would get repoed in that person's name, yeah. and then the bill would be racked up to twelve and $13,000. But... And so it, he burns. It really their still does boil all back down to the family unit. The family unit is failing, and so he but, would have never been in that situation had he been, you know, raised appropriately. He 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 would have he would have not likely been in that position if he was raised appropriately. True. And then he wouldn't have burned his family because he would have uh, his his family. You know, he wouldn't have been in that position in the first place. It, it all boils down to that. Now, how do you make the family unit better? Um, well, one that is directly having the father figures, yeah. and that is directly the responsibility, honestly, of the uh, the church to basically kind of oversee and and help mentor and guide 100%. families into being better families. Um, one hundred percent. I got off topic though. I was talking about predatory car dealerships. Yeah, we. we I was thinking about that a minute ago. We, we, we spiraled we, bad. <laughs> well, you, you can easily do that, but uh, yeah, where just the, the side note. Go from one yeah. side note to another side note. Yeah. No, I wanted. I did want to point out. Uh, uh, I guess reiterate because I think I've talked covered this topic before, but uh, maybe some listeners <clears throat> haven't heard it because it was from you know a while back whenever I talked about it. But what a lot of these predatory car dealerships will do is um, they will um, they they're targeting so they're targeting individuals who have um, 
who don't have great credit, so they don't have a lot of options in the in the market. Like they can't get traditional bank loans, and since they can't get traditional bank loans, but they still need transportation, what do they do? Well, <clears throat> you could argue, well, these people should be more financially responsible. Okay, you know, maybe. We, we could say that. Uh, that's fine to a degree, but sometimes people are in financial situations, credit-wise, that um, may be partially their fault, but also could very well be a culmination of many, many issues, and there's a lot of systemic issues that tend to drive people in the direction of bad credit and debt. That's the that's that's how our society has been as of late. Um, just look at how much easier it is to get loans. Look at how much easier it is to get you know six year and eight year loans on vehicles. Um, uh, look at the uh, look at the housing market crash of two thousand eight. Uh, we were we were lending out money to people who had no ability to repay it uh, in, in in these subprime mortgage packages. So um, so so they they target. They target people who are, you know, financially uh, less than uh, they're 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 in not so great financial situations. They're living paycheck to paycheck typically. They don't have good credit, and they don't have a lot of options in means of traditional financing. And you know, you could actually, funny enough, you could make the connection and say, well, car dealerships, uh, pay, buy here, pay here, the predatory car dealerships like that, uh, you could you could easily say they're racist. I'm not going to say that. Uh, I'm just going to make the quick connection here that they're not particularly targeting certain races. It's just uh, as an overall issue of our uh, financial and social economic uh, disparity in, in this country, it tends to um, uh, the the most financially afflicted uh, communities tend to be minorities. So I, I'm not saying that car dealerships, these car dealerships are targeting these people, but that is their, that is a lot of times their clientele. And that, that has more to do with money and financial situations than it does to have, than it has anything to do with race. But I will point that out, that it more negatively impacts and affects the uh, minorities in this country because, and then that just greater greater increases the wealth gap uh, between minorities because there's already a, um, a higher per capita issue financially within minority communities. And then you just compound that factor by adding to these predatory situations. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the government needs to step in because I'm not, I'm very torn on this subject because I'm not a fan of government regulation. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not a fan of uh, of these uh, companies taking advantage of people who are uh, who are relatively vulnerable. If you you don't really have much of a choice in the matter um, whenever it comes to acquiring a financeable uh, financed vehicle in that particular instance. Now, you could you could argue and say, well, they're you know people are smart enough; they could choose not to do that. And perhaps they could. However, I think that realistically, I don't think that these practices should be banned or made illegal, but I think that they should be forced to be more transparent and less tricky about the way that they do these things. For instance, I don't think weekly payments should be allowed. 
this is one of the ways that they tend to um, they tend to dupe people into spending outrageous amounts of money on vehicles that are worth half as much as they're paying for them. Is that they will uh, they will instead of advertising or telling them that they have monthly payments, they do weekly payments. So I've literally had somebody before tell me that they've got this you know they had this you know 15 year old truck. It was in halfway decent condition, and he said, "Yeah, I got a pretty good deal on it." You know, I'm only paying, uh, I'm only paying seventy five dollars. Uh, uh, my my payment's only seventy five dollars for it. And I thought, wow, that's that's you know, not, no, no, he didn't say my seventy five. He said my payment is one hundred and fifty dollars. Is what he told me. And this is a fifteen year old truck, and he's telling me, you know, uh, uh, payment's only fifteen fifteen or one hundred and fifty dollars. And I thought, okay, well, that's not too bad. Uh, and then he said, a week. Is a week. $150 a week. Now, he thought that sounded good. $150 a week. But if you look at it in monthly terms, that's $600 a month. $600 a month is a brand new car payment. So, realistically, uh, if he's able to make that payment and can afford to make that payment, then he could have bought a brand new truck for that, for that, for that money. However... Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't have the credit. He was a a younger kid. Um, just not, not necessarily all there financially with his wherewithal. And, and he thought that was a good deal. Now, the reason he thought that was a good deal is because that's what all of them do. All of the buy here, pay here places have basically kind of come together. They haven't necessarily come together, but they've all kind of adopted the same practices that become this industry standard. And so anyone who's a kid like this may have never seen the inside of a, a, a real dealership. He may have only ever bought from buy here, pay here's. And so to him, he had no reference point to what a, a car payment would otherwise be through traditional financing. So when he's paying $150 a week and he's, you know, not doing the math on it and paying, basically paying $600 a month for a truck that's over 10 years old, he, like, he may not realize that a brand new truck costs $600 a month. Um, but he's not looking at it in terms of a month he's, because they all do weekly payments. So since they all do these weekly, and now some of them, you know, they'll say they'll do you a favor if you get paid, you know, uh, by, by monthly, by weekly, by weekly, if you get paid every two weeks, then they'll do a, they'll do, you know, uh, once every other week payment. But the reality, like none of them do monthly payments. And the reason none of them do monthly payments is because if they did monthly payments, it would be very apparent how much you're getting ripped off. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> now the, so, so what I propose is I think that some of these shadier practices, like I, I don't, again, buy here, pay here places, I don't think they should be legally prohibited from doing what they do. I just think that they need to be more transparent about it. They need to be forced to be more transparent about it, so less pe- so people can be, be be able to better make informed decisions. I don't think they should do now. It, like, I, either they shouldn't do it weekly wouldn't. payments or. They could continue to do weekly payments, but they need to be very transparent about the fact how much it is monthly. Oh, I yeah. know that, and, and it seems like such a leap, right? People are like, well, it's not that big of a, it's, it's not that big of a, a leap to, you know, if you tell someone $150 a week, they should immediately be able to do the math. Well, times that by four, that's $600 a month. The problem is people just don't all, think about all it. All of like these that. people that go to the buy here, pay here, they've not really done the math for the sole purpose 
that they've done the math on the fact that what they can afford. What they could afford on a weekly basis. They've not exactly. done the math on how much is this going to be in the long and run. And believe me, there's a reason why these dealerships don't do monthly payments. They don't do monthly payments because they know that it will be basically too much in the face of the people saying, look, you're paying way too much for this car. Well, so, the stupid thing is, some of those, even some of the new dealerships, um, those newer vehicles are sitting at 600 bucks a month as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, you could go buy but a brand new brand new truck for that price. You're also using your credit, and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of people, there's a lot of people. Well, they, that's, that's they've another. They've got credit. That is another thing about buy here, pay here places that is very peculiar and very strange. They will, there are some of them that will report to your credit that you're making payments and it will improve your, uh, and will improve your credit, but rarely is that the case. A lot of times they will not report to your credit that you're making payments. I, I just had a thought. Doesn't your brother buy at buy here, pay here places? He does. And it's not worked out well for him many times over. How, um, how many times have you told your brother? A lot. <laughs> um, every time that he's bought it, a buy here, pay here. But his excuse is the same every single time. Well, I don't have, I can't with my credit, I cannot buy, um, you know, traditionally you know, through through a traditional auto loan. And now here's my, my personal opinion on the matter in general. I don't get car loans really ever. I just buy cash because I don't even, I don't even want to do traditional financing. I feel like that's a little bit of a ripoff. So of right now with the Acadia, I do have financing. Yeah. Card. Um, but at the same time, my thought is I'm also using it for work. Yeah. Now there are exceptions to the rule of where I say that financing a vehicle would make sense. Now, um, I think that it depends on your financial situation for one. Um, if you are able to finance something that puts you well within your means and it doesn't put you like, if you say lost your job, like basically you should do the math. If you lost your job for six months, can you afford to keep the car? And if you can't, then you need to find a cheaper car. Now, um, uh, another thing is, is if you're in, you know, businesses, it's not a bad idea per se to, you know, finance vehicles. Um, the cool <clears throat> thing is with me, if I lost my job today, I still got Uber, Uber and Lyft that I could go yeah, yeah. immediately <clears throat> start doing. <clears throat> yeah. So. Well, and so like, um, you know, for, for you guys buying the ProMaster, it would have, it would have made sense to, you know, finance it. It's a $40,000, um, it's a $40,000 Sprinter van. That makes sense because if you do the math on what that vehicle could make you in the time that you have it, it exceeds the interest that you'll be paying on it. 100%. It's a money-making vehicle. And in the business, there is, um, there are, you know, a couple of, you know, thought processes on debt. Obviously, you want to remain as debt-free, but you also have to consider cash flow and cash on hand. So if you had the $40,000 in the bank to drop on the van, that'd be one thing. Um, however, it may not even be the, the move to make. You may not want to drop the $40,000 because you could take that $40,000 and put it somewhere else that can more improve your business and make more money than what you're going to be you know, losing on the you know, 3%, 4% interest rate that you're paying on you know, a, a vehicle loan. So, um, but from personal finance side, uh, side of things, generally speaking, your vehicles don't make you money. So if your personal vehicle is not making you money, it gets really hard to justify paying the interest. It's literally just money getting thrown out the window. Um, mm-hmm. however, that's not entirely here nor there, I guess what I'm getting at is, um, uh, with these, 
what these uh, I guess what these uh, these car dealerships will do is a lot of times they won't report to your credit that that you're making payments regularly and on time. The, the but only the time, second that the, yeah. the second that you quit making payments, <laughs> by golly, <laughs> they're gonna make sure yeah. that the credit <clears throat> note credit yeah. bureau knows. Well, and I'll tell you this, it is the reason why they do this, it is beneficial for them, for their clientele, their demographic to remain having bad credit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> because if you had good credit, you wouldn't use them. Everybody, you know, anybody, whoever buys from buy here, pay here, it's all, it's all the same story. You could ask them, hey, if you had good credit, would you still buy from this dealership? They'd say, no, I wouldn't. Absolutely not. Um, and you say, well, you know, if you ask, or if you ask, you phrase the question another way, you say, well, why do you buy it, buy here, pay here places? Because my credit isn't good enough to get a traditional loan. And that is exactly what they will all say. Nobody's doing it with good credit. No one has good credit and says, you know what? I'd rather pay <clears throat> twice as much money for this car. Um, and, uh, and have, you know, and have these, you know, and, and deal with these, you know, predatory people than go to, you know, bring my own financing to a dealership. <clears throat> so, um, so like I said, I don't think that it should be illegal for them to do this. I think that that is, you know, they're not technically breaking any crime, like, they're they're offering a service and or product and the people are agreeing to said service and or product but i think realistically a lot of the times people aren't aware of what they're agreeing to until they're kind of a little too deep into it and so it just needs to be more it needs to be more a little bit more transparent um just the same as you know um uh, really, really, any company where there's any any sort of service or product where there's uh, some sort of a risk involved or something along those lines, there's disclosures and disclaimers. Now, and these exist with these buy here, pay here places. They're all in the fine print, though. I just don't think that it is present and obvious enough. For instance, prescription drug companies are allowed to advertise on in in America, which is just the weirdest thing. Um, I don't understand who who are they advertising to. Um, because the layman shouldn't be making decisions on what drugs they're being prescribed. They, that's especially whenever they give the <clears throat> the long list of uh, side yeah. effects. So, and that's my point. Like, so they are able to advertise, but when they do, they have to list a long list of side effects. Like, you know, this depression. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this depression medication. You know, it's a depression medication, but it has the side effect of you know. Uh, possible hair loss, uh, 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 anal seepage, and stuff like. Well, if that's not going to help your self-esteem, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, boy, oh boy, I was taking this medication because I was depressed. Now my hair's falling out, and I can't keep my butt closed. <laughs> 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 oh, by the way, also death might be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a side effect. <clears throat> uh, I, 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 I've I've seen one antidepressant that one of the side effects was suicidal thoughts, and I'm like, um, what are we? <laughs> What are we doing here? <laughs> but my, my point my point is is they have to be transparent about these side effects, no matter how bad it makes that company look. They have to be transparent about it uh, because of the inherent risk to consumers to be making uneducated decisions about prescription drugs and bringing it up to their doctor. Now, granted, there should be a professional involved. They go to talk to the doctor, and the doctor says, "You know what? Maybe you could um, benefit from a little bit of hair loss and anal seepage." Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, or what, what have you, you know, oh, the risks aren't bad, you know, you, you could take this drug or whatever. So, yeah, so there, risk, there's, but that's not that big so of a risk. even with, even with the barrier being a professional doctor in there with this advertising practice, the, the, the doctor's the one who still has to prescribe it. So they can say, no, 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 this isn't for you. 
um, even with that barrier, they're still required to disclose to the consumer the side effects. So whenever you see buy here, pay here places going, oh, it's only $75 a week. Like it needs to be, uh, it, it honestly, it need they need to be, you know, you, you could pay week, you know, it's, uh, instead of saying $75 a week, say it's $300 a month available in weekly payments of $75 a week. That's kind of the way I see that it should be. That would be one big hurdle that would help out a whole lot. Another thing is, is they need to disclose, the, they, they need to be more present and, and obvious about disclosing their sticker price. Um, instead of, instead of saying, because they never, they, they rarely will tell you the total price of the vehicle. Most of the time they'll say, hey, it's this much. Now in the paperwork, when you're signing all the, the dealing with whoppers, you know, you're signing away your life to them, they will, um, they will disclose the total price that you will pay. But I feel like if if buy here, pay here places are to be allowed to remain in business, then what they need to do is they need to advertise, they need to show the monthly price, and then they need to show the sticker price on all of their vehicles. So the way you know what you're paying, and it's and it's obvious and apparent how much you're paying and how you know what your payments are. Then if the consumers choose to continue to use them, then you can't blame anybody except for the consumer. They've been very well informed in the matter. It's just my, it's, it's a real, it's a pet peeve of mine, uh, buy here, pay here places because of how predatory they are. And, um, and I have a, I have a pretty good suspicion that we're going to see an explosion of buy here, pay here places over the next several years, because I feel like there's a lot of people whose, whose credit was probably tanked pretty bad because of the uh, economy and this pandemic. Uh, and the, you know, the past year, they, they've probably been hurt financially and will be in positions where they still need vehicles, but they just have their car repoed, so they can't get, you know, traditional financing. So they're going to go to these places like Coast to Coast Motors. Yep, I'm blowing up your spot. Um, <clears throat> uh, because that place is one of the, uh, one of the very predatory uh, dealerships. And, um, you know, places like that that will... Um, that that are going to take advantage of the fact that people have really not much of an option but to you know and and it could be you know you could say well why shouldn't they why wouldn't they just buy car cash maybe they were hurt pretty bad uh during, during this pandemic financially they don't have the cash to afford to buy a car uh, or whatever car they'd buy is just going to be a hunk of junk and cost them more money in the long term than if they financed a newer car but they don't have the credit to finance a newer car, and so they end up, you know, having to go to uh, buy here, pay here place, and you know, at, I, yeah, I, I see it. I see them getting bigger, and I see them likely um, becoming uh, becoming more of a staple. Uh, and and I, it's if you look anywhere in a what I don't understand is why companies like ILoveCheapCars.com. They they were around for years. Mm-hmm. They they were one of these buy here pay here's as well. What happened to them? I mean they they were massive. They're on the corner as you get off of the highway. Uh-huh. Um, B A and Memorial. They right across the street from now. What's Land Rover and Jaguar? They were there forever. Yeah, and then. I mean, that that model of buy here, pay here. I mean, for them, is a is a good model. Well, 
what happened? Here's the deal is like, I think buy here, pay here places can still be profitable and done in a more honest way. Now, oh, now granted, agree. now here's the deal. I agree. I think that I think that their interest <coughs> on their vehicles should be higher than typical traditional bank loans because if a bank won't loan you money, then you're and they're willing to loan you money, they're taking a greater risk. That is for certain. Yeah. But it shouldn't be as like they've basically inflated to this nonsensical just, level. Just like you and I with GameStop. Greater the risk, greater the reward. Yeah. Well, and he and, and same uh, for them. <laughs> They're taking a greater risk, so yeah. they should get a greater reward. Should it be I don't think hundred percent yeah. of so when the when the car comes back, do you list the car a hundred percent of what you just sold it for? Yeah. No. No, I, I think I think realistically you need to lower that value. Realistically, of that car. you could operate a buy here, pay here place on fifty percent margins comfortably. Um, and still be making a killing. And still be making a and killing. And still be the vultures. Yeah. And, and it would and it would be it would be less it would be less burdensome to uh, the individual purchasing the vehicle. Yeah, they they take a little bit of a hit buying the vehicle, but that's my point. Like fifty percent, or you know, in realistically thirty percent margins would be uh, phenomenal. If you sell thirty percent over, uh, you know what the what the blue book value is. With basically including your finance terms in it, you're making thirty percent. That's still like some of the highest interest rates that ever there was. But you'd still be far less predatory. And if you did it, you know, in more transparent practices, it could still be a good business model and a viable business that also isn't hurting your your local community. What boggles my mind, and maybe it's just the the whole karma thing. I don't know. But the same guy that. Uh, I was talking about earlier that um, I have as a customer that's a buy here, pay here place. He lives in a dump. Yeah. He's a customer. His house hmm. is a customer of mine as well. Hmm. If you're raping people like you are, or like he is, financially like that, you ought not be living in a dump. <clears throat> Either yeah. that or you're screwed up when it comes to your own finances. Could be. Could be. You know, um, it's, a, it's a very real possibility. Uh, it, it, uh, yeah, anyways. Um, it's kind of, I guess, uh, it was actually a mildly unplanned rant about um, It uh, sure was, but man, it was ships. fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually do have one thing that I want to talk uh, touch on briefly before we've got to get out of here. So let's take a quick break uh, for a word from our sponsor, and we will be back to discuss some news on AMC. Um, and I don't mean American Motor Company, the uh, company that used to make uh, engines and powertrains, rather, for uh, uh, Jeeps back in the day, the CJ Jeeps. I'm talking about the movie company. The movie stuff. Yeah, that's the place. All right, uh, we'll be right back. Hey, Ed, we're back. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they caught. I don't think it caught it. It started recording right after you. <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about today is relatively uh, recent-ish news about AMC. So, here are my thoughts on AMC. Um, So, as everyone is well aware, GameStop and AMC have been uh, doing this funny little tango in the stock market, and uh, prices have been going all over the place. 
Um, I mean, AMC hit almost seven. Well, not almost. It pre-market. It, it did hit over seventy-five dollars. It was nuts. Yeah. So I'm going to be uh, pretty transparent. Uh, this is not financial advice for one, and then secondly, I want to be transparent about my positions. I've greatly reduced my position in AMC. Now, uh, I'm not saying that he didn't <clears throat> do it on purpose. Well, the first time I didn't do it on purpose. Second time I did. Um, so the first time I didn't do it on purpose, I had set a trailing stop loss. And for those of you who aren't aware of what a trailing stop loss is or trailing stop limit is, it's an order that say the stock price, in my case, uh, you set it at say when, it, when the stock price is about you know 30 bucks a share. Well, you can set a limit to how far it'll drop below that before it'll trigger a sell of X amount of shares. Well, I set it to $10 below thinking that, um, you know, as it rises, because it was, it was looking like it was on the uptick, and then it would, you know, find its peak and then drop down some, and I would sell, you know, $10 below the peak. Uh, well, it did rise, and that, and that trailing stop limit follows it. So if it's at 20 and you set it, you know, 10 below, then it won't sell until it drops down to 10. But then if it goes up to 30, it'll bump that stop limit up to 20, 40, 50, so on and so forth, right? Um, <clears throat> well, it managed to, uh, have, because at the time AMC hadn't really been doing any wild swings. Mm -hmm. Um, it had just kind of been gradually going up. And then one day it did a, you know, a wild little crazy swing up to $36. And then within the same day dropped down to $26, uh, thus triggering a sale of half of my shares, which is fine. That's fine. You know, uh, it, uh, I had at my positions were, I had $60 or $60, 60 shares of AMC. The total amount of money invested was about 750 bucks. And when that stop loss got triggered, it sold for about $810. So I just regained all of my initial entry, uh, uh position or my, all of my initial investment off of that sale and still retained half of my shares. Then the second time I did intentionally set uh, a stop loss, figuring that uh, a trailing stop limit, <clears throat> figuring that if it goes up, great, my limit goes up, but I'm comfortable selling at $10 below current market price right now because, and, and, and still retain shares. I sold 20 more of the shares, um, totaling uh, over $1,000. My total uh, investment return off of my $750 uh, investment turned into $1,850. Right, so I made eleven hundred dollars uh, and still retained ten shares of AMC. Um, so I disclose that to say this: that I invested in the company, knowing that it would go somewhere. And, and honestly, still to this day, I believe it's a value investment, regardless of any squeeze potential. I think it is. But one thing that irks me is the CEO's attitude towards his shareholders, and he plays this, you know pandering, you know, guy who is like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I, he plays this like nice guy on interviews, but I don't think that he, I, it, it's still not a bad company. It's just, it feels, it's so much different than GameStop, who genuinely, they care about the shareholders and they, and they appreciate the investment the shareholders made to keep that company afloat. AMC the reason I feel insulted as a shareholder <clears throat> is because of their dilution of stocks, right? Yeah, they're wanting 25 million okay. more shares. Yeah, right so now. let's break this down. So they had the option, the ability to sell 20 million shares since 2012. Now, 
Uh, that was an authorization granted by shareholders in a proxy vote back in 2012. Now they did not um, they did not issue those 20 million shares till just recently. So they did they did um, refrain from selling those for nine years before finally doing so. Now, here's the deal though. That 20 million shares was so the the permissions granted to them by the shareholders were they could take that 20 million shares and offer them to management. And and this is what Adam uh, Aaron said in the interview. He said, well, we could just issue them to the management as compensation, or we thought what would be better is if we could give them to you know, 20 million shares instead of going to 100 people, it could go to the broader market and our retail investors and our shareholders would be able to benefit from the growth of this company. That is a, a BSPR uh, rhetoric. That's what it is. Do you know what, do you know what he, so he glossed over that. And this is, by the way, I'm referring to uh, part two of uh, Trey's trade interview with Adam Aaron. And he glossed over that and Trey didn't catch it. But what I heard whenever he said that is this, instead of taking 20 million shares and giving them to the management as compensation, we're going to offer it to the public, right? In contrast to GameStop, whose whose board of directors has opted to not receive a salary, but instead receive payment via shares because they believe in the company so much, that to me tells me the sentiment of the management is that they don't, they believe, don't believe in the company. They don't believe that the shares are <clears throat> going to be worth more than they are presently now. I kind of caught that as well last night when I was watching <laughs> it. Yeah. And it just, it said to me the similar, same thing. Um, it, it just was like, why do we need to dump that many shares? Why why do we got to dump that many shares into the market right now? Because they're being greedy and they're and they're and they're mildly hurting from. Now here's here's another thing too is do you know what didn't get described in that? You know you know what that means that twenty million shares that would have been compensation to management is otherwise now being paid via cash. Mm-hmm. It's not so that's more debt. Yes. It, it, well, not necessarily more well, debt, but more less... More debt being the fact that they've got to pay people. Yeah, less coming out of the... Yeah, it's, it's more money coming out of the general fund or the, you know, whatever fund, their, their cash, right? They, they could have easily... <clears throat> Given it to the the, so, the yeah so they're they're team. acting like they're acting like that in lieu of compensation they're offering it to the shareholders the reality is they're not they're not giving up compensation they've just chose not to receive compensation via shares and instead cold hard cash because they don't think that the shares are going to be worth more than what they are now and that's that's complete and utter garbage and it feels insulting as a shareholder that they would act that way and treat it this way and then he goes on to say how well we've raised you know with this 20 million share sell off 8.5 million a while ago and then another 11.5 million just this week they've raised a total of 1.2 billion 1.2 billion dollars okay that's a lot of money that's good that's not bad that's not bad at all um, their outstanding debt, though, and, and they have about $2 billion cash in the bank right now, thanks, to, by and large, to this, uh, share, or this uh, share sell-off that raised capital. That's good. Good numbers to have in the bank. $2 billion is a lot of freaking money. Their long-term debts is $6 billion, though, and so realistically, they're at a net of $4 billion in debt. You know, if you take the $2 billion cash that they have on hand, subtract that from their long-term debt. Now, he'll go on to say, well, a lot of that debt's not due until 2025, 2026, and so on and so forth. Okay, 
great, fine. You'll probably generate a lot of cash flow going forward. And if you're smart with this money now and expansion and buying other theaters, buying other theater companies and mergers and acquisitions, then perhaps you could raise plenty enough to be so cash flow positive that the debt that you currently have is going to be basically a non-issue. Not to mention the fact that they owe somewhere in the neighborhood of $400 million in rent to their landlords across this nation because of the shutdowns due to the pandemic. Now that they have cash on hand... Now you can pay it. Now you right can now pay it early at a and discount. potentially get a discount. Now that is not a unsmart financial move. They have cash on hand. And so it's easier to say that than to say, oh, well, we'll pay it in payment installments later on. The landlords are likely going to want to receive the full amount or interest on top of that versus they might take a discount to receive the cash on hand now. Not a bad financial decision, I think. However, again, this dilution of shares is so is so insulting because mm-hmm. basically this is what this is what it tells me. And let's break this down Barney style. If you have a company that has uh, that's worth $1000 and has 10 shares. That means that every single share is worth 100 bucks, right? Well, if you just go and issue another 10 shares, now your shares are no longer worth 100 bucks, they're worth 50 bucks. Exactly. Because the company is still, you know, uh, let's say let's say they you know, now now it maybe if you sell them off uh, for a you know the the equal price or whatever, yeah, you could raise capital. It's the the reality is though, is that it's not it's insulting to the shareholder is all. And then on top of that, you have um, uh, you have the fact that the the, the amount you, you look at. I guess the problem is is I'm comparing it to GameStop, who uh, who has been handling everything like a champ. You know, you have this. Um, y- y- GameStop, the way that they handled their their sell share off to raise capital. Now, granted, AMC managed to raise $1.2 billion over the last 10 months, okay? That's a lot of money. However, they sold 20 million shares to do that. GameStop managed to raise $500 million, half a billion dollars, selling $3 million of shares. And they're not in debt. In comparison, in contrast to AMC. Now, I'm going to say this again. Of all the theater chains that is going to likely survive and do well and prosper post-pandemic, it's going to be AMC. 100%. And I and I still think that, I and, and also I'm in a position right now, like I've disclosed my positions, that I am risk-free investing in them. My 10 shares could ride from, you know, ride all the way down to one cent a share, and it's not going to matter to me because I've, I've made 140% profit off of it, okay? So... I've made back the money that I've invested plus a 40% profit on my investment. I'm, I'm, uh, or not a uh, 40%. I've made a 140% profit. I've more than doubled my money on it. That's so I, I'm in a position where I could say that and do it risk-free. Now, would I recommend necessarily buying it right now at this price? I don't know. I do think that it wouldn't be unrealistic though, to expect AMC going forward to be looking like they're trading around $50, $60 a share in the future as things go. And I think it's going to be a long-term good value investment. Um, I just feel disrespected the way that they're handling things versus the way that GameStop has handled things and has been very respectful and, and, uh, and uh, to, to their shareholders. Exactly. That's, I mean, your, your sentiment, 100% hits mm-hmm. the nail on the head the way I felt last night whenever I was reading the articles that I read before I watched the Trace, Trace Trade. Mm-hmm. And Trace Trade, <clears throat> he didn't hit, he did not hit the, um, 
at Adam Aaron the way I kind of felt like he should have. Yeah, he seemed to be lobbing a lot of softballs at him. And then and, whenever, and then he seemed real pleased with all of Adam's uh, responses yeah. and, and answers. And I'm sitting there going, no, that should have definitely gotten hit a little harder. Yeah, or, or pride, pride down on the fact and asked him, hey, in lieu of the 20 million shares that you would have been given to the management, are they now instead just receiving cash compensation? Because I believe that's exactly what's happening. You can't tell me that the well, entire uh, team of management and executives has he, decided they're just not going to take compensation at all. What, what I think, I mean, it's kind of cool that somebody, and it's obvious Trey's Trades is not this big uh, super duty uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And he got CEO Adam Aaron. Yeah. Which, that's pretty cool. It is. But... Because he got somebody as big as Adam Aaron to do a deal uh, interview on uh, his YouTube channel, he basically just because it, because of it, he's like, all right, now I'm not, I'm not going to lob any hard ones. I'm only doing softball. Yeah, and I feel like that's that was kind of the sentiment because he had had him on before, and I feel like the like likely. The reason why he, because here's the thing: is there's a, probably a good chance that he is concerned that if he plays, if he if he goes too aggressively at him, then he's not going to be able he's to not, get him to come back. Exactly. And that's that's fine, but he should have. And maybe, he might not be. He might not get other big name. Yeah, uh, and and he like and he maybe should have been a little bit more scrutinizing though of the way that he uh, the way that Adam Aaron really did a, a bang up job of skirting the question of what why you know his explanation on his 20 million share selling that again i still think it bothered me yeah pretty, pretty heavily. the reality is is was that a poor financial decision i don't necessarily think so um but don't but be more transparent don't handle it with kid gloves and tell us that it well it's because we wanted you to have a better opportunity to own shares and be no 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 no. you did it to raise money because you guys want more money and that's fine in fact, as a shareholder, I want you to want more money because if you have more money and you make more money, I make more money. I don't want I don't want I don't want you to make decisions based off of my feelings. I want you to make decisions based off of what's financially sound and what's best for the company. But don't 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 pretend like I'm stupid and and uh, and think that I'm going to believe you whenever you say that in lieu of compensation, you decided to just give that away to a, a market offering. Not when you give yourself, uh, I want to say Adam Aaron gave himself the biggest bonus he's ever given himself <laughs> of $4 million. Yeah. In the middle of the stinking pandemic. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're a freaking liar. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, do I think that they're going to do things well and, and expand the company and, and, and do financially well over the next several years? Yes, I do. But whenever it comes to the, uh, the, the, the way that they've handled, I'm, I'm less than pleased about the way that, that they, act like, they act like their shareholders are stupid. Not to mention, uh, and this is neither no. here nor there, I am a big, I, I, I am a, like, I am sorely disappointed in the way that he says shareholders. It bothers the crap out of oh, me. Oh, my. T- Sounds like he's saying shoulders. Me nuts too. Is he, yes. Sounds like he's saying shoulders every single time. Every time I heard it, I was like, golly, this is so yeah, annoying. Yeah, he, he's like, you know, you, you know your followers, are, and, you know, they're, they're, also, they're also my shoulders. Um, uh, shoulders. Uh, shareholders. Shoulders? I'm like, your shoulders? What is he? <laughs> That's not right, man. You can't even, you, you, you can't. You shoulders. Can't, you can't come. You can't come out here and uh, spit a bunch of lies and then call me your shoulders. Um, I'm not a fan of this. And again, like, 
he was being pretty darn truthful, but he was doing it in a way that was kind of skirting the uh, the very blatant and obvious truth. And he was doing it. He was he was being truthful in a deceptive way. And and again, you know, you sell off twenty million shares. It wasn't because you wanted you just out of the kindness of your heart. You wanted shareholders to be able to have a hold of that. That's that's all good and well. Um, but that's not what you did it for. You did it to raise capital, and you did it raise to, uh, to raise a ton of capital. Say it that way. Say, look, we did it to raise capital so that way we can have a butt ton of money in the bank, so that way we can take this company and expand it and grow it and take, an, uh, take advantage of a lot of other theater chains that have failed and gone bankrupt that we can swoop in and we can uh, basically become the, the uh, you know, we're already the largest theater chain in the world. We're going to become the theater chain in the world. That's that's what I'd like to hear more like than than to say oh well we just didn't want to keep all of the shares to ourselves get get out of town with this bullcrap you don't keep all the shares to yourselves you you want a one point two billion dollars is what you wanted <laughs> don't tell just me this be straight up on it yeah don't tell me this bullcrap well we didn't want to keep all the shares to ourselves we wanted you to have the opportunity shut up. Shut up with your stupid face. With a one, you had you had the ability to make one point two billion dollars, and that's what you did. And I'm fine with that because I want the company to make money because I'm invested in it. And again, I'm happy they made me money. They made the the, the my shares made me money. They returned money to me. That's great. But it, like I said, the way that they're handling this is a far cry from GameStop. And I almost feel like realistically, in the, realistically, the way they're handling it is, is you know, kind of business as usual for most publicly traded companies. They are going to be very veiled about what, you know, how they're handling it. And it's all going to be a bunch of PR rhetoric. That's fine. Um, it's just a refreshing breath of fresh air whenever you deal with something like, you know, GameStop, who's, uh, you know, they decide Tweet, they're only selling. about a uh, uh, tombstone. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or th- or show or you know throwing uh you know in, in in reducing the amount of shares that you can sell from six million down to three million, and end up raising half a billion dollars for it, pay off all your debts and still end up with half a billion dollars in the bank. Um, that's those some some good moves. Um, one quick piece of uh, GameStop news before we head on out of here is uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, heard this, or caught this, but the GameStop shareholder meeting, the annual shareholder meeting on June 9th, six nine, nice. Um, is uh, it's uh, it's scheduled like the the scheduled announce like it's 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 been scheduled and the announcement was uh, scheduled for how long that the duration of this meeting is and it's only fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes, my friend. Annual shareholder A meeting. Company that 15 large is minutes? only going to be fifteen minutes. Why is it going to be fifteen minutes? You might ask. Well, some have speculated, and probably correctly so, that the it doesn't take an awful lot of time to say there are way more shares than available. <laughs> it's pr- pretty the meeting adjourned. <laughs> so, uh, so there's a very good chance let's, that the let's meeting, wait for everybody to get in. Here. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna keep waiting, <clears throat> wait, waiting, waiting. All right. Because I think I think the reason it's only going to be 15 minutes is they don't have a whole lot to announce. Um, there are uh, too many shares, a lot of naked short selling happening, and uh, let's go ahead while we're at it and we're going to announce a, a, a crypto dividend. Uh, mic drop, boom, out. Doesn't take 15 minutes to say that apparently. <laughs> so that's interesting. Um, that's an interesting tidbit of information. Um, so far, the agenda does show it's only 15 it's gonna, minutes. It's so. going to take them 12 <clears throat> minutes. To let everybody get into the room, 
kind of like whenever introduce all of the uh, uh, chair, uh, all of the board members, yep. introduce everyone, and then so ten minutes, ten yeah. minutes for everybody to get in the room, kind of mm-hmm. like whenever you got Facebook Live, you're like, all right, we're gonna wait for everybody to get in here. <clears throat> yep, yep, we're still waiting for people to get in here. All right, now we're gonna start the meeting. Yeah. So it's actually only going to be a five-minute meeting. Yeah, it is. It really is. They're just going. Everyone's going to come in, and then they're going to say hedgies are screwed, and crypto dividend, and that's it. New floor is twenty-six million. Yeah. The meeting's just the meeting's just going to be Ryan Cohen get up and say to the moon, and then <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Fifteen minutes. That's all it is. So. Um, that's interesting. That seems to be a, a piece of news that I've seen glossed over a lot in Reddit. And whenever I saw that, I'm like, this is big. I think this is big, but we'll see. Uh, it's coming up soon. Um, and we'll probably report on that, uh, after the happenings of that. In fact, uh, that is, uh, five days from the date of this recording. Uh, by this time, this, this probably release, uh, either late this afternoon or tomorrow. So, uh, by next week, we might be recording post-shareholder meeting, or maybe just before. We'll see. Anyhow, until then, um, you stay classy, San Diego.